What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 21, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episodes Within the Serpent's Grasp and The Serpent's Lair. Brent, we just got through season one of Stargate. I know. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. They're uh-huh. coming. So, oh, wait. We got to, they're coming. Yeah, they were coming. They were coming. And yeah. then as we'll get to it, then they, they're not they're not there. They're not there anymore. Yeah. They're not there anymore. <laughs> so, uh, friends, you can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts. This week, we have received independent confirmation that folks are indeed finding us on Google Play Podcasts yes. and on Apple Podcasts and I'm and on Spotify because the counts are still kind of there, kind of there. Uh, yep. which is funny. I was listening to a show where they're complaining about Spotify being abysmally low, like they're normal. Of course, they're getting much many more downloads than we are, but their Spotify counts are always like very, very small. And I'm sitting there like, that's kind of a meaningful portion of our, <laughs> our <laughs> listens. So, so anyway, you can yeah. find us there. Yeah, And when you do, you should rate and review us and tell us all about how wonderful we are because we can't stand any kind of criticism. So don't even... Yeah, don't, don't give us the criticism. No. No. But no. Uh, yeah. So if uh, folks want to get a hold of us, how would they do that? Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. It's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Nice. Nice. I had to breathe nice. in there. That's right. Uh, Or you could follow us on Twitter at Stargate Mm -hmm. Walking. uh, Or you can go to Facebook and find us. We have a Facebook page, Walking Through the Stargate. We also have a Facebook group uh, that is slowly growing every day. Well, no, not every day. Usually like once a week I'll get somebody saying, hey, can I join the group? And I always say yes because that's what I do. That's Uh, that's the point. Yeah. Uh, We did try earlier to get our Twitter to talk to our Facebook and apparently Facebook says you can't do that anymore, which is kind of a bummer. Yep. Um, but did we actually get the stuff on the Facebook page to go to the Twitter? Is that... So how... Yeah. <clears throat> so Facebook is... Uh, I, I, over time, dear listeners, you are going to understand the complete and utter lack of respect I have for Facebook as an entire entity. But that's okay. We're not going to get into it right now. So Facebook doesn't allow Twitter to post to Facebook. But Twitter allows Facebook to post to Twitter. So we got that part fixed up. And so the page, which is different than the group, so the Walking Through the Stargate page, if there are posts on the page, it'll automatically hit the Twitter feed. Posts in the group do not hit the Twitter feed. The Twitter feed doesn't hit the Facebook page at all or the group. And you do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself about. And that's, that's what, what it's all about, about. Zach. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yep. Anyway, um, we're still working through this because, you know, social media is my forte. <laughs> and mine, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm happy that people are there. I'm happy that folks are commenting and talking. Um, yeah. It's, it's nice. Uh, and I'm glad, I'm glad that there's an outlet. That, that said, I... Bleh, bleh, but that's just me. On, on, on the Facebook bit. Or on the social media. Even on the Twitter bit. I mean, yeah. like, there's there's the, the the amount of toxicity, man. The toxicity. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Just, just, you know, love one another. Just, can't we all just get along? Just get along, man. Yeah. 
All right. So, uh, background facts. This mm-hmm. might be a little bit longer than normal because, well, I have two episodes to work with. Yeah, we're covering uh, two. Yeah, we're covering two. Uh, Within the Serpent's Grasp is directed by David Worry Smith. Uh, this is his second of 11 directing credits. His uh, first one was There But For The Grace Of God, so that was just a couple of episodes ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of part of the same arc. Yep. Uh, if you remember there, his very first directing credit was Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. Yeah. Uh, and so this time... With a big city cop. Big city cop. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, his most recent directing work... Uh, it has been has come in the the series designated survivor. I think that's Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's right. a low level cabinet member becomes president of the U.S. because cat- catastrophe happens uh, and stuff. Uh, yeah. So he directed the episode called Capacity. Um, you can go look that up on IMDb. I'm sure it's great. I I'm positive it is a magnificent experience. Yep. Yep. So uh, within the serpent's grasp. The story is by James Crocker, and the teleplay is by Jonathan Glasner. Uh, This Mm -hmm. is Crocker's only Stargate credit, uh, but his credits do include Twilight Zone, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and WizKids. WizKids is like 1980s or something like that. Yeah, I think so. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, He is, uh, at least according to IMDb, uh, he is the only person to write for both the 1985 and the 2002 Twilight Zone series. Ah, that's kind of cool. So that's kind of cool. Uh, so that's James Crocker, and then of course, J- course Jonathan Glasner. He's the one of the creators of the show. This is his mm-hmm. fourth writing credit in season one. It's his last writing credit in season one. Huh. I, um, I wonder how that worked. Well, it's the last episode. Of uh-huh. the season. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. He has total of thirteen writing credits for the series spanning the first three seasons of the show before he departs. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of looking up and trying to figure out uh, why he left the show and where he went from there, and sure. I didn't find it quickly. I'm sure it's out there. Uh, maybe on another podcast I will find that and share that. Or yeah, if you happen cool. to know, you share it with me. That's fine. Yeah, I'm for real. Totally cool with that. Uh, he was first noticed as a writer for his work on Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So... <laughs> It's, I'm trying to remember the theme, and I can, I'm getting like halfway there, but yeah, Alfred Hitchcock presents. Anyway, yes. Anyway, okay. So the Serpent's <laughs> Lair. Uh, this is Jonathan Glasner's second of two directing credits. Uh, he mm-hmm. only directed two episodes of the series. Uh, so he did the teleplay for part one. He did the directing for part two, The Serpent's Lair. Uh, his first directing credit was The Torment of Tantalus. Mm-hmm. And then the teleplay for season two, episode one, was by Brad Wright. Uh, this is his first writing credit of season two. Nice. Yeah. And he wrote because five. Because that would be the first episode of season two. Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, go look in other places for what I have said about Brad Wright. Uh, <laughs> if I tried to repeat myself for all of the episodes, well, you'd stop listening and we don't want that. This is this is this is where once again we uh, we plug our back episodes. Uh, it's probably unlikely that somebody's jumping. In, I don't know, maybe not jumping oh. in the middle. But hey, you should go hey, back. Def- definitely go back and listen to those older episodes because yeah. they're way cool. And then you can see the progression of how cooler we've gotten through time. Uh, yeah, and also yeah. how much better I've gotten at handling the audio and how every every now and again there's an inexplicable change of how things are produced. 
That's because I keep trying new things. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's cool. I need yeah. more coffee. I'm going to have some more coffee. Uh, oh, you drink the coffee, Brent. I have already drank my coffee, so I'm just going to drink water. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Meanwhile, there are people out there, yeah, that are, like they can't stand mouth noises, and they're just like <laughs> shrieking right now. It's like, ah! It, it's, it's like my, the word moist. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> 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 Anyway, uh, back on track. uh, Back on track. Within the Serpent's Grasp originally aired on March 6, 1998, and the Mm -hmm. Serpent's Lair aired about three months later on June 26, 1998. Mm -hmm. So, number one in the charts on March 6th in the UK was Frozen by Madonna, and Uh in the US it was, not shockingly still, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. And on. My heart and will on. go on and on. And on. Uh, mm. However, three months later, things have changed. Thank goodness. Yes. In the U.S., uh, the number one song was The Boy Is Mine by Brandy and Monica. Yeah, I was yeah. curious in this three-month period where My Heart Will Go On was, and so I kind of sifted through it. And at this point in time, it has dropped all the way down to number 50. Uh-huh. And by okay. the way, Brent... As I yeah. was looking through this, I noticed that Candle in the Wind was still mm-hmm. 43. <laughs> so, by this t- <laughs> so by this time, Candle in the Wind is sitting in a better position than my heart will go on. <laughs> yes, and by this point in time, Candle in the Wind is like a year and a half old. Oh, uh, wow. No, it's not quite that, but it is no, But still, old. I mean, it's getting close, isn't it? Yeah, it's getting close to like a year at yeah. least. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So... Uh, I I found Staying that power. really humorous. Yeah, that is good. Uh, that. In the UK for June 26th uh, was Three Lion 98 by Badiel Skinner Lightning Seed. And huh. that I'll have I, to look that one up. I don't know anything about that. I've never heard those words put into that combination together. The good uh, the good news is that every time that I say, huh, I don't know what that one is, then I go and find the audio and then I, and I splice it in. So uh, right uh, now we're rocking out to it. So we should be like, probably, it's probably a dance. Probably, it's probably EMP, I bet you. Yeah, and, uh, you know, EMP, not EMP. Yeah. And, uh, wait, wait, wait. There's yeah. an electromagnetic pulse going here? Might as well be. Oh, okay. That's because lightning seed, man. I'm still uh, jamming. I'm still rocking it out yeah. here. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is the best song. So, I can't believe I so don't remember this song. Even as we are rocking out to this song that's being put there in post because we can't hear it yet, I have uh, no I'm going to tell you about like. what's happening in the movies. On March yes. 6th, it's still Titanic. Number two is U.S. Marshals. That's a new one. Number three is Wedding Singer. Number four uh-huh. is Twilight. And uh-huh. no... It's not Stephanie Meyer's book adaptation. This is the oh. Twilight from 1998. Oh, thanks for saying that. Yes. Uh, right, obviously. She hasn't even written this book right. at this point. Right, right, right. Uh, you know. I don't know anything more about it. I didn't look. Okay. And number five is Hush. Huh. Then in no, I definitely know that one. Uh, June, mm-hmm. uh, we've got some new ones. Uh, Dr. Doolittle hit number one. That's brand oh, new. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mulan is number two. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is when the X-Files movie came out, the first one. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Out of Sight is number four, and The Truman Show rounds out the top five. The Truman Show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, 
What's been happening at this point in time? Mm-hmm. Uh, March 2nd, just a couple of days before the season uh, finale, data sent from the Galileo spacecraft indicates that Jupiter's moon Europa has a liquid ocean under a thick crust of ice. Yeah. Nice. Wow. There you go. And it did a good job. Galileo uh, had a high-gain antenna, which was supposed to unfurl all the way, but mm-hmm. it got stuck. And so Ooh. they were forced to send out data in an extremely limited fashion. So it took forever to do anything. But they still did it. They still got all that work done. They still got it done. Sweet. One day later, on March 3rd, Bill Gates testifies at the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, about Microsoft's dominant position in the software industry. This mm-hmm. was, of course, probably one of the high points of Microsoft's uh, oh, yeah. empire. Yeah, uh, and uh, at this point in time, there was really nothing. Not even Apple at that point in time uh, nope. was able to compete with it. Um, of course, 1998. This was shortly after Windows uh, really revamped itself with the Windows 95 and then 98 and then NT right. in 2000. It yep. was the buggiest stuff in the world. But, uh, <laughs> it but was when there. you don't have a whole lot of competition, you don't really got to iron out those bugs. That's true. Not really. That's true. So it's actually a really good thing that, that Apple has soared into the world and uh, Google oh, now absolutely. has taken things on as well. So that's just forced right. all of those uh, companies to produce uh, more solid and stable platforms. March 6th. This is actually the day the episode aired. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the first time the British Union flag is flown over Buckingham Palace. This was following a controversy after Princess Diana's death. Formally, the only flag flown was the sovereign's standard, indicating that the monarch was present. Uh Uh-huh. I vaguely remember that. So, Well, that's cool. Well, that's because you're a British file. I am Anglophile. Uh, British file. Mm. Anyway. (laughs) All right. So, a little (laughs) while later, later, March 16th, Uh, Pope John Paul II asks God for forgiveness for the inactivity and silence of some of the Roman Catholic priests and uh, parishioners during the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's kind of cool. Jumping a few months. uh, So I was looking right around the episode, uh, season two episode, and there was not much happening. So at this point in time, a couple days earlier, you have June 21st, Home Alone actor Macaulay Culkin, who was 17, weds the Broadway actress Rachel Miner, who's also 17. Um, they got married in New Preston, Connecticut. I vaguely remember that, just because, of course, they were both well, 17. Yeah, yeah. Uh, June 25th, uh, in the Clinton versus City of New York case, the, New- the United States Supreme Court decides that the line item veto of the line item veto act of 1996 is unconstitutional i uh we've talked about that even on this so i'm not going to go into that uh go back to that previous episode um and i don't remember which one it is so just listen to them all listen to them all (laughs) there we go problem solved uh and then uh finally on june 27th this is uh the day after uh the serpent's lair the op- there was the opening of the Kuala Lumpur International Airport in Malaysia. So nice, nice. Not much was happening apparently in late June Pretty of quiet. 1998. Uh, however, so as I was going through this, uh, I found a, a little bit of trivia here 
that uh, I pulled. I think this was on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just thought this was awesome. So after, this is talking about the uh, Within the Serpent's Grasp. Mm-hmm. After this episode initially aired in Sweden. Now, its initial airing was uh, quite a number of years after uh, it aired in the United States. Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But after its initial airing, uh, it would take an additional five and a half years before the second season would finally air, despite the no fact that the way. initial airing garnered <laughs> huge interest among Swedish oh, sci-fi no. fans. The network lost faith in the show, even oh. though it was in its fifth season of production in the United States at that point in That's time. That's hilarious. And so there were changes in time slot. There were reruns. Uh, on different sister channels. Finally, they called it quits in the middle of their third rerun of season one. And then it would take them another five years before the show again was picked up by another sister uh, channel. This was TV6, uh-huh. which had profiled itself as Sweden's unofficial sci-fi channel. And so at this point in time, they begin to continuously air all ten seasons during weekdays. And due to this extreme tempo of this airing the the network did finally catch up to the series and they aired the finale of stargate sg1 only four months after u.s aired its finale wow so compare that to the premiere of season two which was almost nine years after season two aired uh, uh, wow. wow so um uh, to our listeners in Sweden, to our listeners who were old enough to have endured that, and specifically to the listeners, l- listener who uh, stuck with it for nine years, <laughs> I am so sorry, and I bet you that that, well, we might get into it because I, I, I don't think that this. Uh, I'll give you a sneak peek into my future Chevron rating. It might not be as high as what people might think. Uh oh. Uh huh. Well, we'll see. Anyway, but uh, sorry for the long wait. Ah, well, yeah. But, hey, they did get there. Yes. That's right. Okay. So, season two is actually the only season in the show's run in which all five major characters, that is Richard Dean Anderson, Michael Shanks, Amanda Tapping, Don S. Davis, and Christopher Judge, appear in all of the episodes. Huh. Okay. So, there you go. Uh, And here, initially... Uh, Scara and Chlorel, they were originally supposed to die in the first episode of this. Uh, So in in, uh, Within the Serpent's Grasp, at the end, remember uh, O'Neill shoots shoots him. Uh, He was supposed to die, and that was just going to be the end of Chlorel and Scara. But there were a lot of fans that didn't like that. And so they They rewrote the episode. (laughs) Um, uh, Also... Uh, I think it's at the near the very end of the, the Serpent Slayer, uh, as as a part of all of this process. There is that scene where um, where uh, Apophis departs in the the rings, yep. uh, the ring transport, and uh, they had to uh, um, in post put an image of Scara there. Oh, uh, really? Oh, I didn't notice that. So. Uh, I did notice at one point, I'm jumping ahead a tad, that there was, uh, so it was right just before the end of, uh, of In the Serpent's Grasp. Um, O'Neill is standing in front of the uh, control thing, pointing the pistol, 
kind of holding, waiting, waiting mm-hmm. for uh, Scar to kind of pop out or do something. And I was noticing that he was actually in front of a green screen because I could see the production like cutout of him <laughs> in front of the black, right? Like it was, it was pitch black. And I'm wondering maybe they were intending to have something more visually stimulating, behind, right? Oh, like yeah. you could have, you could have easily put up a black curtain and it had been fine. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was nothing, there was no image behind him, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, then finally, um, I have one goof to share in the serpent's mm-hmm. layer at around minute 19. Uh, it looks as if there are some script pages lying on the sarcophagus in the yes! background. Uh, I had noticed that and I didn't, I mean, I didn't really think anything of it, but I did notice it. Yeah. So, uh, go back to around minute 19 of serpent's layer and you should be able to see that. Yeah. I mean, it was like, there was some, there were some papers and I was like, huh, what are those? And then, and then but <laughs> That was as far as I went with it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, right. shall we jump into the synopsis here, Brent? Yes. All right. Here we go. This might be a little long because there are two episodes. We're covering two. We're covering two because you, the listener, said we should. It's Get on fault. with it. Oh, okay. Senator no, Robert. No, no, no. I'm saying that they, yeah. Carry oh, on. Oh, sorry. Oh. Carry on. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Before we get going, we have one point of business to take care of. Oh. Okay. It was my provisional rating of politics. Ah, uh, yes. I said if this episode opened stone cold and they did no mention about what happened in the plot point of politics, that politics should be given three chevrons because you can't skip it. Well, guess what? What is that, Brent? My two stands. They opened with a bit of a recap about what happened in the last episode. You oh. can totally skip politics. <sighs> No, because yes. the best they say is so. I mean, like if you start right there at the beginning of within the serpent's grasp, and you see you get him all the information shredding that stuff, you're like, yes. "What the heck is going on there?" Yes, and then he explains what's going on. Senator mm-hmm. Kinsey shut down the gates, <laughs> like it's right there. Yeah, but then everybody is going to go back and says, "What do you mean, Senator shut down the gate? <sighs> when did this happen?" Why did it happen? How did it happen? This is really not important to this episode. Anyway. Anyway. Two. Two. <laughs> Carry on. So, okay. here we go. So, should I start the, the synopsis? Yes, please. Okay, here we go. Senator Robert Kinsey has shut down the Stargate program. General Hammond is in his office shredding files and doing what needs to be done to shut down the facility. O'Neill walks in wanting to talk. Are we really going to close down? Hammond reveals that he, all that he's done to change this outcome. He begged Kinsey twice. He went to the Secretary of Defense, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, even the President. It's over. The Stargate program is finished. O'Neill, Carter, Jackson, and Teal'c are gathered together. Jackson is convinced what he saw in the alternate reality will happen here. He pleads with his friends and teammates that they need to at least try the coordinates he has. It'll be a lot easier to stop an invasion before it launches than after it has arrived. Despite the fact that courts martial would be the only thing waiting for them should they return, SG-1 decides to go on one last mission to save the planet. Sneaking into the control room, they send a MALP through. It's dark, but conditions seem safe enough. What they see suggests a ghoul presence. 
And with that information and the reality that Hammond and the rest of the SGC are rushing to the gate room to stop them, the four head out into the great unknown. They find themselves in a large room, and at first they don't know where they are. Daniel sends them out back while the others explore the room. They find crates containing staff weapons and something new. Uh, crates of uh, Zat-Nicotels. Zat-guns, as O'Neill dubs them, are a less powerful Gua-Wooled hand weapon. One shot causes pain. The second shot kills. The third shot disintegrates. O'Neill passes them out to the team. Suddenly, the entire room lurches, and everyone save Teal'c are thrown to the floor. Teal'c is concerned and suggests they return to Earth immediately. Daniel attempts to dial Earth, but it won't activate. Confused, he tries again. Still nothing. Before they can figure out this new problem out, they encounter another one. The doors open and Jaffa begin marching into the room. Fortunately, the team stays hidden and out of sight. The Jaffa bow before a large sphere that rises to float in the middle of the Stargate. Soon the Jaffa leave, and SG-1 is once again alone. The Sphere is a long-range visual communication device, kind of like our TV, but way more advanced. I don't think it gets showtime. Now, or knowing... Har-har. har Okay, you were supposed to chuckle at that, Brent. Well, I, I, when they did a name drop on uh, Showtime, I was, I, was, I was like, lol. But I also noticed... So, sorry, I'm interrupting the, the, the synopsis. Um, we got a swear word. Mm, mm-hmm. We got precisely one swears. One swears. One swears. That might be the only swears. I'm not going to Yeah, so, that, but, you know, episode, right. uh, episode one uh, uh, gave us a uh, um, risky, uh, risky business. And then the last episode gave us a swear word. Yep. And then they went. Got to make pee-pee. use of that showtime. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Okay. Now, knowing where the door of this room actually is, the team decides to begin exploring. They soon discover that they gated to a Gua-Wooled mothership, not a planet. The lurch from before was hyperlaunch, and now they are likely on their way to Earth. On Earth, General Hammond orders Major Louis Ferretti and his team to follow SG-1, officially to bring them back for court-martial, but mostly to back them up and bring them home safely. But the gate will not open. Something is wrong. SG-1 finds a bay of death gliders and Daniel freaks out a bit, but they quietly follow some Jaffa troops who appear to be heading back toward some gathering in the gate room, Uh, They are back in the cargo room, and they overhear Apophis' pep talk to the troops through that large sphere that doesn't get showtime. Apophis introduces his son, Chlorel, who will lead the troops into battle. And Apophis and Chlorel uh, declare that they will meet up at Earth uh, to once and for all eliminate the nuisance that is the Tauri. A sarcophagus opens, and Chlorel rises. It is Skara. O'Neill's friend, Sharae's brother, the only actor from the movie that returned to the TV show Save Kasuf. That is to say, <laughs> his dad. The battle against Earth is on its way. After the meeting, O'Neill orders Carter and Jackson to start planting C4 all over the ship. Hopefully. 4C. 4C. Yeah, C4. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any more of this 4C? 
Uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry. All right, sorry. Hopefully, it will be enough to destroy it when the time comes. O'Neill and Teal'c are going after Scara. Finding Chlorel slash Scara is relatively easy. Capturing him is also rather simple. Ah, the speed of plot serves us well. <laughs> but Scara is only able to assert control briefly after he is shot with a rather plain, painful blast from a Zat gun. Scara begs forgiveness for what he is about to do, but Chlorel reasserts control before anything more can be revealed. So, as this is happening, two Jaffa guards enter, creating a standoff. Who will blink first? Release Chlorel or O'Neill gets shot. No, release O'Neill or Chlorel will get shot. Tilk releases Chlorel. And the guards take them to the cargo room to talk to Apophis. Apophis is pleased that they've been captured. He asks if there are any others. O'Neill says thousands. Chlorel, in typical overconfident style, says there can be no others. Apophis orders their immediate execution. While Chlorel orders their deaths, O'Neill begs Scar to help. Seemingly taking the tiniest bit of control, Scar slash Chlorel disobeys Apophis and delays the execution and instead takes them to the Peltac of the ship. That's a, a fancy word, Brent, uh, for the bridge. Ah, okay. Uh, so that they can witness the destruction of Earth. The ship exits hyperspace and O'Neill once again goes tumbling to the floor. Standing up, he looks out and sees that they are passing by the rings of Saturn on their way to Earth. Space. The final frontier. Yes. Uh, so I did read somewhere uh, that, that suggested that that shot of the mothership going by Saturn is a callback to uh, the episode Best of Both Worlds when you see the oh. Borg ship flying by uh, Saturn on its way to Earth. In, oh, well, uh, that I was... I, I was just, uh, I, I couldn't not think of, um, I think it was the first uh, title cards that Star Trek Next Generation used where they're zipping by the planets because it was oh, yeah, basically yeah, yeah. the Saturn shot yeah. in reverse, more yeah. or less. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Carter and Daniel finish setting up the 4C, I mean C4. <laughs> Carter puts it on a 24-hour timer and they head off to free their friends. Back at the SGC, Sergeant Radar informs Hammond that the <laughs> Cairn Deep Space Radar has picked up two large blips heading toward Earth. Every branch of the United States Armed Forces is mobilizing. Recognizing this for what it is, an invasion force by the Gua'uld, Hammond orders the Stargate Operations Room converted to a command and control center. On the way to the Peltac, Carter and Daniel witness death gliders preparing for launch. They make it to the Peltac and successfully take out the guards, but Chlorel grabs Daniel, knocks the gun out of his hands, and uses a Karakesh on him, trying to meld his brains. <laughs> O'Neill begs Skara to stop. He threatens him. Tilk shouts that O'Neill must take action before Daniel is killed. Chlorel doesn't stop, and O'Neill is forced to shoot him twice. Daniel is safe. But Scara dies in O'Neill's arms. Before there is any time to mourn, O'Neill is called over to look through the window. SG-1 stands side by side, hitting their marks as they <laughs> look out and see Earth looming. 
The camera pulls away from the heroes and out into space, and we see the second ship. Both ships poised to bombard Earth. Daniel's nightmare has come. To be continued. Bum, bum, bum. All right, real quick, Brent, any comments before I continue? Super quick. Uh, at this point, I had written some notes that was basically kind of like they're on the bridge. Why aren't they hitting buttons, trying to take control, blah, blah, blah. Why on earth is the entire Air Force Armed Services being mobilized through the SGC? General Hammonds, that seems like a pretty significant battlefield appointment. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, that, that said, that said um, uh, you know, when it comes to space stuff, uh, the Stargate Command Center is as good, if not better, than anywhere else to deal with that. Yeah, and uh, it's think, also I mean, involves could, our heroes. It does involve our heroes, so that's a good point. There you go. And uh, yeah, there was uh, at this point in the story, there was a fair amount of me just kind of like being like, there were some, there were some moments that uh, were a little, a little glossed over, as you had mentioned. This thing was moving at the speed of plot, but yeah. anyway. Well, okay. Then. Then I then I set down my concerns and I started watching the, the next episode. Okay. The Serpent's Lair. The camera zooms back in our heroes. There's nothing left to say. It's time to blow up the ship with the C4 Carter and Daniel spread throughout the ship. O'Neill is about to hit the button when Daniel stops him, but only to place one last charge by the control panel. O'Neill pauses to say something profound. Nothing comes to him. He's yep. about to hit the button for real this time when Apophis's Hatak vessel comes into view, and Teal'c reveals that its shield will prevent its destruction even if Chlorel's ship explodes. Well, nuts. Time for Plan B. What is Plan B? But before they can figure that out, Jaffa break in and stun them all with some kind of ghoul shot grenade. On Earth... Hammond sees the two Gould ships and wants to know why they haven't gone to full alert. And our good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Bert Samuels, enters. He is here coordinating with the Pentagon. He tells the general they are not on full alert so as not to reveal to the Gould what they have for defenses. We should appear as a helpless planet. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Area 51 has created two Gua'uld busters. They are missiles with a Mark 12A warhead enhanced with Nakwada and covered with stealth shielding because stealth shielding will work in space. Oh, so we'll carry. Yeah, okay. I got so many things to say. Okay, and we're going to launch them at the Gua'uld ships once they get close enough, and they're not going going to do anything with our forces now because we don't want them to notice that we have two cool rockets. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Curiously, the Gua'uld ships have delayed entering orbit, which I suppose is good because it does give the U.S. military a little time to prepare even though Samuels doesn't want them to prepare. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, a serpent guard informs Apophis that the humans killed Chlorel, but that he has been placed in the sarcophagus to be revived. The humans have also been captured, and Apophis tells the guard to kill the humans immediately. SG-1 finds themselves in a holding cell, initially blinded due to the shot grenade that rendered them all unconscious. Now, trying to defend herself, Carter takes a bite out of O'Neill's hand. And O'Neill tells Carter to be prepared to bite any intruders <laughs> in the hand should they come in. 
And with their defense plan in place, they wait. The serpent guard enters the cell. Carter does not bite the hand of the serpent guard. But the serpent guard informs them that he's been ordered to kill them all without delay. But when he declares, but then he declares that he's planning to ignore that op- order. Opening his helmet, the identity of the serpent guard is revealed. It's Ricardo Maltaban! Tony Amendola. Oh. <laughs> it's Braytac! <laughs> Braytac is believed to be part of Chlorel's loyal guard. He has delayed the attack on Earth by placing Chlorel in the sarcophagus. Hopefully this will give Earth enough time to launch their warships. Uh, right. Anyway, his mm-hmm. original plan mm-hmm. was to attack Apophis' forces with his own in the name of Chlorel, hoping to turn father and son against each other. But SG-1's attack on Chlorel has made all of that impossible. O'Neill thinks they need a new plan. Hammond oversees the evacuation plan at the SGC. They are sending the best and the brightest to an off-world alpha site so that should Earth fall, humankind may still prevail. Samuels thinks the evacuation ought to be delayed until it becomes truly necessary, which it won't because his ghoul busters are totally going to work. Mm. Suffice it to say, the ghoul busters are launched. And they don't work. They hit the shields of the massive ships, causing no damage. Shocker. That said, Chlorel almost didn't get the shields on his ship up in time. Skara continues to fight for control of his own body. With his only real plan nullified, Samuels appears to give up and asks to be relocated to the Alpha site. (laughs) <laughs> Hammond scoffs at this request. The Alpha site is for the best and the brightest, and Samuels is neither. He will stay on Earth and defend the SGC just like the General plans to do. Braytac and SG-1 fight their way to Chlorel's command center without raising an alarm. In the process, Braytac quietly and rather impressively dispatches some Jaffa guards. On the bridge, Chlorel is captured, and Braytac directs the ship closer to Apophis's. Now, their hold on the command center is precarious, and Jackson is forced to defend the hallway as the others work in the control center, and in the process of this, Jackson is seriously wounded. Daniels cry, alert, Jack. Jack, Daniels cry, alerts, Jack. There we go. Yeah. Jack goes to help, attempts to treat his friend, but knowing that time is quickly running out, Daniel tells him to leave him, and reluctantly, Jack goes. The rest of the team uses the ring transports to get off Clorel's ship and onto Apophis's. With Clorel as a hostage, Braytac destroys Apophis's steering console so that it cannot maneuver away from Clorel's ship as it approaches. Their work is not yet finished. Apophis' shields will still protect his ship from the blast of Chlorel's ship. They make their way to the shield generator. O'Neill drops a couple of grenades down into the core of the ship, disabling the shields. Woohoo! Yay! Braytac is now prepared to die. O'Neill think, <laughs> thinks that's a terrible idea, 
and directs them to the Death Glider Bay. Jack and Braytac jump into one glider, while Teal'c and Sam jump into another. The two gliders launch and escape the ships with only moments to spare. Apophis and Chlorel are unable to control either ship and realize death is imminent. They use the rings to transport to the Stargate room and escape. The sarcophagus opens and Daniel rises. He was able to crawl into it to heal his injuries. Yay! Yay! And with only seconds before the ship is destroyed, he too is able to dial the gate, this time to the Alpha site, and escape as well. The two ships collide and explode. At Stargate Command, Radar informs Hammond that they've got reports from all over the country. There's a huge fireball in the night sky! Everyone Yay! in the command room erupts with cheers. Papers fly. Hugs are hugged. Smiles are smiles. Ch- smiles are smiled. Cheers are cheered. And Hammond stands there stunned. Happy. Relieved. Stunned. Still stunned. Yes. The gliders escaped the exploding ships, but they are damaged. They may have only bought themselves a little time, but O'Neill invites them to look up and see the peaceful view of the solar system and the Earth floating in space. But all is not lost. Daniel is able to get back to Earth. He's safe and sound, and Hammond, knowing now that his premier team may still be alive, instructs the space shuttle Endeavor to launch, looking for survivors. And when the Endeavor finds the gliders... The day could not get any better. SG-1, composed of Jack, Sam, and Teal'c, along with Braytac, arrive in the SGC's embarkation room where they are greeted with applause. General Hammond thanks Braytac for his efforts in helping them stop this invasion fleet. Daniel is also there and sneaks around some of the extras in the background to be revealed to the rest of his team. They all smile. Sam hugs Daniel and Jack calls him a space monkey. Right? <laughs> the camera pulls back, revealing a crowded embarkation room with SG-1 reunited and everyone celebrating the defeat of Apophis and SG-1's triumphant return. The end. The end. Woohoo! Mm. And this is when I say, so, Brent. Uh-huh. Within the serpent's grasp, slash the serpent's lair. What'd you think? Uh-huh. I'll tell you what I thought. So the things that I thought were pretty darn good, uh, the characters are really starting to meld and the banter is really starting to uh, coalesce. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'm noticing the, the uh, interplay between the characters is really kind of starting to, to find its groove, which is not shocking, right? You know, like this kind of will typically happen at the second season mark of a show. And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're kind of there. It's, kind of cool it's really fun yep i thought the story overall was definitely exciting um you know the attack on earth and how the sg1 team is going to help uh, save the day so i was you know i was hooked the entire way and uh yeah like the set design was pretty cool and uh you know it was it was it was fun to be uh engaged in in, in an environment of um you know, spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was kind of talking about it earlier. I think it was in um, Singularity where I was like, you know, it's the, when we finally saw that attack ship, which I guess it, I didn't notice. Was the attack ship in Singularity the exact same ships that we were seeing in this episodes? Um, they were the anyway, same design. 
Yeah, I it's think. just that the lighting was weird or whatever. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't appreciate that it was a pyramid with a donut. Like you know, like anyway. Uh, but it was cool. Like, hey, we're in space finally. Um, which right is uh, one of my favorite things, and so I was pretty excited about that. But here's here comes here comes uh-oh, uh oh here comes Brent being a spoil sport. Um, the story wrapped up way too conveniently. Like. I get it. There's supposed to be, you know, it's a hero story. It's a television story, but for real, this thing, this thing, it, it, it was almost as bad as uh, a photon torpedo down the exhaust port of the Death Star. Like it really wrapped Brent, up it conveniently. Was a photon torpedo. What did I say? Photon? Yeah. I get my, it's, yeah. yeah anyway. Get your star get right, episodes correct. That uh, was star, star, star wars. asterisk. Yeah. Okay, fine. Star asterisk, right. uh, a star asterisk show. Uh, yeah, it, it, there was that. And then, and then I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty big astrodynamics nerd. Like I know how orbital dynamics work and lots about this weren't doing it. And so, <laughs> it, and it, it, that's okay. No television show ever does. And if they actually were true uh, to, uh, you know, true to how orbital dynamics work, it would be really boring. And, you know, everything would take a lot longer than you would think it would. You know, I get yeah. it. Um, you, you can't do that. But it, it just kept jarring me. And like, you know, like, I'm, I was really glad that, that, uh, that they at least were mentioning that the uh, missiles, from Vandenberg were going to go into a retrograde orbit and they correctly showed that on the map. Like at least that was like, <laughs> okay, um, you wouldn't yeah. do that because the amount of fuel that you got to use on that one would be ridiculous, but you know, whatever, maybe you decide to do that. And if they were in a geostationary orbit, the earth wouldn't look like it would, it was, you know, they were too close. And then at the end with the endeavor, like searching for a certain, no, no, it, <laughs> these guys are needles in a haystack. Like you, you, you would probably have your radar and you would know where precisely where they are. And I guess you would run your shuttle up there, but then, the, but the, also in explosions, the two gliders would have by that point have separated so far apart. And, uh, just too much. It was just too much. Zach. It was too much, but, uh, so, you know, whatever. I was rolling my eyes a little on that one just because I'm too much of a science nerd. And then I kept noticing that for as cool of a set as they built, they kept using that same hallway set over and over and over and over. It's like, you know, I understand the ship is uniform. It's uniformly designed. It's the same concept as with a, with a Star Trek with the Enterprise hallways. Like, you know, the, the, oh, the, they, they walk around the same bend every time. Yeah, the, but, the Enterprise had, like, two hallways built that they were right. in, like three different pieces that they just yes. shifted around all the time. And this is precisely the same thing, but you know, it was just, it was just a thing of like, Oh, and we're ducking into that little alcove again. Yep. Okay. And we're beating up some bad guys. And oh, now we're ducking into that alcove again and we're beating up some bad guys. No, it's a different. Oh, alcove. oh, one more time. It's a different duck into alcove. that alcove. Oh, okay. Uh, and then there was one like tiny moment when Samuels gets disheveled. Right. So when his, when his Gould busters don't work and then we cut to a scene where he's like his tie is like undone and <laughs> the tie cl- and he's just like sitting there drinking a cup of coffee, which probably was a cup of whiskey, um, you know, and wanting to run away. And like just that whole like that whole look that he had. Yeah. It, it, I, in my opinion, they should have spent more than 30 seconds undoing a couple parts of his uh, outfit before sitting him down in that chair and shooting that scene. <laughs> like, well, d- just do a little bit more. <laughs> but, 
it was funny. I fair enough. I chuckled. Uh, but anyway, that's me rattling on. Yeah, I did. I did like though. Obviously, like, hey, we got some story advancement. We've got some. Uh, you know, the bad guys got away. Uh, the the uh, the Earth is saved, but uh, boy, it got close. So you know, hey, I'm excited that uh, that, that that is an obvious threat that uh, can't be ignored. Undoubtedly, reopening the SG uh, the SGC program. So I'm you know I'm excited about that. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about that. But when we get to the ratings. I got a feeling that there are people that are going to rate it higher than I will. Ah, well, we'll see. What do you think? Well, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, it's, I have seen these episodes enough times that mm-hmm. the excitement level is not there for me anymore. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't watch these like, oh, what's going to happen next? Because I know what's going to happen next. Um, uh, I liked, the, liked bringing Scara and Chlorel back. Um, you know, so, uh, the idea of putting the Stargate on the ship was cool. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. it was very cinematic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was, it was a fun episode for me. I could just sit back and just, uh, let it go and, uh, ignore the astrodynamics problems. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, it was, for me, it was just watching the heroes be the heroes. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know if I have a whole lot to offer. Uh, I kind of, you know, tossed out some some quips along the way. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I do like how Hammond really just dresses down Samuels there at the end. Um, oh yeah, that was uh, good. That was a good know, time. So I like that. Uh, uh, we get a callback to Ferretti. You know, Ferretti is a character mm-hmm. from the original uh, movies. Um, mm-hmm. And so that pops in there. Uh, one of the things that I thought was a little bit weird is uh, when the, the team gets to the gate room at the very beginning, nobody's there. Why is oh, nobody you there? Mean, uh, before they, before, uh, you mean right when they were donning on their, uh, their all black? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> which I thought was funny too. Like when you're on an official mission, uh, you, you're obviously you wear in, your camos. You're in camouflage, <laughs> but but as soon as you're going rogue, everybody knows you got to wear a black stocking, <laughs> including <laughs> including teal. <laughs> but you got to get his emblem showing, so yeah. you can't put the hat down too hard. <laughs> It was, it, it made sense, yeah. um, you know, yeah. right? But on the same token, it was a little like, oh, yeah, you know, like, hey, everybody, we're doing something we're not supposed to do. Time to get all the black tactical gear. And yep. <laughs> off they went. Um, You know, so. I did find it funny that they put the gate in a dust cloth. Like, uh, you know, a plastic sheet. Well, that was actually kind of a callback to. Um, the pilot, the pilot, you know, the, the gate starts with a dust cloth basically on it. Oh, that's right. You're right. Um, so, you know, they, they literally are shutting things down. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say. I, I enjoy it. This. Go ahead. Yeah. The, well, this is, uh, you know, this was about 90 minutes of television that, um, uh, can't be missed um but uh it's i think it's chief problem yeah i i hear you and i agree and i think that if uh you know if i rewatch these episodes it will definitely be a sit back relax just watch the ride go right. um 
because it was my first time, uh, there's a lot in here that I am wanting to be meaty and satisfying. And then when it misses the mark, it's like a it's a little groan inducing. Mm. Uh, there were plenty, plenty of moments that were enjoyable, plenty of moments that were humorous, plenty of moments that were tense. The tense moments almost always resolved way too quickly for my tastes. Um, the I, I will the, say that part of that is that it's 1990s television. Yeah, I, and, I mean, you know, I mean, the way that you dealt with problems was, you know, quick and conveniently in 1990s television. Of course. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, there's nothing there's nothing about it that is uh nonsensical. Uh and it all adds up. I'm just I'm I'm recognizing that uh my so I really do try to watch these episodes from the framework of a 1990s viewer. And so I am doing my best not to impart well, but it's unavoidable, right? So, you know, my my, my uh, storytelling tastes have changed a little bit. And so as a result, this isn't quite as um, satisfying as other storytelling methods. But that's okay. I mean, sure, every time that uh, the SG-1 team rolls into a particular area with Jaffa guards, they seem to know precisely how to hit Jaffa. And Jaffa did have no idea how to hit uh, SG-1 members, um, except for once. Uh, and in, and so, yeah, you know, each time that's, yeah, but we've already established, you know, these are heroes, heroes get lucky, heroes are better than average, uh, you know, those are average Jaffa, so, you know, it's it's their it's their fate to be cut down by the heroes, so, you know, I should probably get off my high horse. Yeah. Uh, the, and, and the quick and convenient, like, I definitely chuckled when the quick and convenient storytelling was purposefully... Uh, a part of the moment, like when O'Neill tosses a couple of grenades down into the shield room. Oh yeah, right. Like, and voila, problem solved. Uh, like, but they, but they made a, but, but they, they alluded to the speed of that problem solving moment in the dialogue and in the context. So it was a self aware moment, which was enjoyable, right? Like, right. Huh? Yeah. A couple of grenades knock that thing right out. There's a part of me that's like, really, only a couple of grenades knocks out the shield room. But on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, fine, let it go. Um, Couple of grenades knocked that one out. Hey, hey, oh, uh, and then the call, and then the response where the little tiny metal sphere um, rolls into the entire death glider wing of the ship, and everybody, everybody falls down. Like, <laughs> like that's also a little too quick. But they allude to like you know, like yep, quick solution. But that's a but that's a grenade. That's not a knife. This is a knife. Yeah. Uh, and there are plenty of moments like that. So was this 90 minutes of wasted television? Absolutely not. No, this is this was enjoyable. Uh, was I uh, feeling a little unsatisfied when it was at the end of it? Yup. Yep. Uh, the, and the, the allusions to how time works when you are dealing with, uh, you know, that last, last, last scene where uh, uh, Teal'c, Carter, O'Neill, and Braytac are in the gliders and they're saying their goodbyes basically, and then the Endeavor shows up, which and then and then they do that stupid thing. Oh, Houston. Like every time you've got <laughs> every time you've got a NASA mission going on and you decide to throw in some audio from the astronauts, it always starts off with a an uh and a Houston. Like it's all <laughs> it's always those three. And then uh and then the scene shifts immediately to the SGC where everybody's getting reunited. 
Yeah, I, I like, was thinking about, okay, I'm looking at those death gliders, and I'm thinking about a shuttle, and I'm like, how did you get yes. from the death gliders to the yes. shuttle? Right. Uh, it's not like you have space uh, gear. You know, you don't nope. have any um, suits and whatnot. Nope. Um, not inside the death gliders. No. Nope. I mean, so. they could have had extras on the Endeavor, but still. But Anyway, but, yeah. you know, again, that's another moment of, like, that wrapped up a little too conveniently. Yeah. All right. I have a question for you, though. So yes. imagine the first episode, right, within the Serpent's Grasp, as it ends, yes. and the camera yes. pulls away, and you see the, the tension there, and that's the yep. end of season one. Yes. What did you think of that? Uh, in that moment? Yeah. There was a there was a little tiny bit of frustration that 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 it was ending. Um, the frustration that I was feeling in that moment was immediately resolved by the start of season two, episode one. So all good, but it was kind of based on the whole thing of like they just took over the bridge. Why are we ending it on this note of of like they have no control, right? They they have all the control. I mean, maybe not as it turns out. You know, sure, maybe alien technology is. Whatever, but you know, it, it ended on such a uh, uh, a um, heavy note for what they had just accomplished that it was a little discongruous. Hmm. But the overall moment of the story, right? Like they have just spent a lot of time trying to stop this attack from happening, and it looks like they are not going to be able to succeed in stopping it. Well, but, it looks for a moment that maybe they have because they have control of the ship and. Then they see that it spans back, and now you see that second ship. Oh, that's what I'm getting at, right? Right? Yeah, you know, like, well, but we, the viewers, already know about that second ship all along. Well, that's true. So even though they take control of the first ship, um, we know. Actually, that would have been kind of an interesting way to tell that story. Imagine if they had done it differently, where the entire time of the first episode, it's the takeover of the first ship and they get to the bridge. And the last 30 seconds are a revelation that, no, indeed, this wasn't a one ship attack. This was a two ship attack. Right. And look, there's the other one over there. That would have been despair. You know, like that would have been terrible yeah. um, and awesome. But we already knew about that second ship the entire time. So we knew that the resolution was going to have to involve more than just taking over one ship. Uh, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of, man, how are they going to do this? And again, that direness that existed at the end of that first episode uh, was feeling a little dissonant with the accomplishment that the SG one team had, had done with getting control of that ship in the break. Right. It, it was making sense from a big picture narrative point of view. It made sense from a recognition that there was going to be another season. Uh, it made sense because it's a television show. How, how deep can they get? Um, you know, there was a lot about it that was like, sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll suspend my disbelief and go along with it. Mm-hmm. But there was still an emotional aspect of like, huh? Well, it feels a little, it's not, Again, it's not the crunch that satisfies. Like it wasn't uh, quite it wasn't quite a hundred percent. It was like a seventy-five percent. Hmm. So that's what I was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um that's really interesting because um I have always found that uh that particular scene uh to be a ah! type of moment. Right. Right? Where you sit there and you're mm-hmm. like, no, no, don't stop it now. Keep the story going. Well, that's true. I did, but I, um, 
but that's a good point. Like I had a meta piece of not a meta piece of knowledge in that I knew I was going to be watching season two, episode one effectively right away. Right. And so, uh, it was tough for me to get that emotional pull of, holy cow, I got to wait three months before I can get, or four months before I can see the next piece yeah. of the story or, or in the case of oh, those poor Swedes <laughs> waiting five years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I knew that I was going to roll right into the next part of it. So I guess it was kind of tough for me to really appreciate sure. that, that moment for what it was. I can understand that. Um, I don't remember my initial response to that. Like when I first watched this episode, uh, I know uh-huh. I did not start watching SG one when it first came out. Um, I was in college in 1998 and 97 and when you're in college, you don't have time to actually watch a whole lot of television. Or at right. the very least, I didn't. Um, and so it was... One shouldn't. Or shouldn't. Uh, so it was yes. probably about halfway through the show, about season five or so, that I started to watch it regularly. Um, and uh, no, it was even... And probably, probably season six is when I started watching it regularly. And, of course, at that point sure. in time, I went back and I watched everything from the beginning and, and, right. and all of that stuff. And, and I had seen episodes and all that. So I can't remember how I uh, first felt with this. But uh, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the ending of that. I do think that you're right, absolutely right, that, that the, the, the Serpent's Lair has a lot of very convenient endpoints. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, and it's, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's not a big sin to wrap it up like that. It's just, I, I, I guess for me, I have matured as a, as a story consumer. Um, and the genre has matured, uh, in 20 years. And unfortunately it hit on some, areas of knowledge that I have, which kind of got in the way of me enjoying right. what was happening. Right. I mean, one of the things that happens in, 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 uh, nineties sci-fi and, and television in general is that it's still predominantly episodic that, yeah. that, um, and we'll, we'll see as, as, as Stargate continues. And we've started to see this already now that, that, uh, things don't simply reset to zero at the beginning of the next episode. Mm, but mm-hmm. still, there is a soft reset for each episode. Yeah. Um, and that's the way television was in this time sure. period. Um, yeah. And that's that's not anywhere, cl- especially in sci-fi, that's not true anymore. That's not how they do sci-fi anymore. Right. Um, um, but uh, I think... That for me, I've probably said all that I need to say. And I've said all I need to say. Okay. That is all I have to say. That is all you have to say. So, Brent. Yes. Within the Serpent's Grasp and mm-hmm. the Serpent's Lair, mm-hmm. out of seven chevrons, how would you rate them? And now, you before you me... do that, I want to ask the uh-huh. question. Uh, are we going to rate each of those episodes separately and then corporately? Or are we doing it corporately? Or, or what? Yeah, I think that we should rate them separately. Uh, because we have already had, you know, that we 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 rated the first two episodes separately, right? Because uh, wasn't that a two-parter? Ch- 
Children of the Gods, well, it was a single episode. It counted oh. as episode one and episode two, but it aired as a singular oh, episode. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Well, no, I think that re- re- uh, rating them separately is better. Better. Because people people experience them better uh, as two. So I'll do them. I'll do. Right. I'll do my rating for each for each individually. And if we want to do a corporate rating, then we can too. Okay. All right. So within the serpent's grasp. Uh, there was an awful lot of, ooh, this is cool, that was happening in Within the Serpent's Grasp. There was a little bit of groaning, like, oh, man, you guys are, you guys are, you guys are getting it easy. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're able to advance through problems a little bit faster than I would expect. Uh, but there was still a healthy amount of tension that was getting built, and how is this going to get resolved that was starting to mount, meaning that's good. Uh, I was enjoying the pace and where it was going. Uh, the groaning moments were not quite as bad. Uh, you know, didn't detract that much from the overall enjoyment. So I think I'm going to give Within the Serpent's Grasp a five out of seven chevrons. Five out of seven chevrons. Uh, do you want me to roll right into the next one, or do you want to give uh, your, your your chevron rating? Uh, let me give mine. Let me give mine. Sure. Within the Serpent's Grasp. Now I've got to think about that one by itself. Uh, uh-huh. As I process this, um, I liked how it just sort of jumped straight into the story. It kept it going. Um uh, I liked how it called back, uh, you know, the whole arc, you know, I mean, even having a four episode arc, basically, it was pretty impressive at this point in time and calling back to that alternate reality stuff at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved the banter between the group at the very beginning of that episode when they're trying to decide whether or not they should actually go to the coordinates that Daniel has, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think m- things move reasonably smoothly through the story. I think that you're right that the within the serpent's grasp is a five chevron episode. Nice. Okay. The serpent, the serpent slayer. slayer. All right. The setup was good. The knockdown was fast. The banter was great. The story was okay. My groan points were a little too groan-inducing for me personally. So my gut tells me that I want to give this thing four. And the reason being is that it just resolved a little too quickly. And my groan points were just a little too loud. And that's where I'm like, I can't really like call this thing a great episode just because there's just too many bits of it that were like eh um and all the coolness of the serpent's lair had already been created and or established in within the serpent's grasp so there you know so so it was a little it was a little uh a little less than mm-hmm. so i'm giving it 4 but yeah i'm standing by that 4 but i'm recognizing that it has an awful lot to do with kind of how brent perceived it and i'm not sure that like you know the world at large should agree with my rating on that one well, but that's mine well, that's Brent, my rating it's your rating i'm it's not true. asking mine. you to give the rating for john smith that lives you know in timbuktu <laughs> um <laughs> uh you know i mean that would be perhaps a fascinating conversation but since neither sure. one of us knows john smith that would actually nope. make it kind of dull so true i'm asking for your opinion all right so, so it's a four so zach all right what about me. you um, you know, 
I think you're right. Uh, I'm trying to decide. See, I think one of the cool things that I like about this, and admittedly, this is me bringing in my meta knowledge of the whole story. It's like we get to see Braytac again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this this fleshes out just a little bit more about Braytac. I love his. Uh, uh, you know, gruff qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the fact that he's like, "Oh, we'll just cross that bridge when we come to it." And then O'Neill's like, "I don't know if you're using that correctly. I mean, I you are, but sometimes it doesn't always work." Right? <laughs> uh, you know. So I'm trying to decide how much the fact that Braytech is there, and we get to see a lot <laughs> more Braytech, and I love Braytech, and he's just fun. How much does that affect things? Uh-huh. And and. And, you know, I still think it's, it's, I'm trying to decide, do I go four? Do I go four and a half? Do I go four? Mm-hmm. I'm, all right, I'm going to do, I'm going to go four and a half. Okay. All right. That's good. Uh, I, I was leaning one way and then I leaned the other way and, and, and then I, there we go. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, within the serpent's grasp is a five for each of us. The serpent slayer is a four for Brent and a four and a half for me. Uh-huh. Uh, Should we rate the whole thing? I wouldn't we do just that. let it stand at that. No, I think that um, because we do have the luxury of having the ability to enjoy this as a single story, which That's is true. unique. It's unique. You know, I mean, not that unique, but I'm just saying it's 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 fundamentally different than when it aired. But on the whole, if I sat down and watched 90 minutes and went from one to the next and just all in for me, it's still a four. It starts strong. It ends a little weak. Uh, I believe that I saw some really cool stuff that's going to set up nicely going forward. Um, by no means was it a waste of time, not at all. And there were plenty of stuff that happened that was that were there were moments of seven that was happening in the midst of it. But on the whole, it was fine. It wasn't great, so I give it a four. You give it a four. I think that uh, you know we're not that far apart when we start mm-hmm. talking about this episode. However, I think when we look at the aggregate, um, I'm going to give it a five. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the aggregate, the, the the stuff that I like about the first episode of this uh, keeps me engaged throughout some of the weird things in the second episode that you mentioned. Sure. So I'm going to end up giving the whole thing a five. Right on. So... Brett gives the whole thing a four. I give the whole thing a five. And with that, we enter season two. I know. <laughs> exciting. <laughs> it is All right, kind Brent. of exciting. The next episode. Yeah. Season two, episode two. Uh-huh. Is called In the Line of Duty. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what is In the Line of Duty about? The SG-1 team goes through the gate and finds themselves face-to-face with an alternate reality again. But this time, it's the SG-1 team that they're looking at. Much younger. Like, three years old. They look at their three-year-old self and they say, What are you doing here? And the three-year-old self says, I want a cookie. And so they give them a cookie. At which point the three-year-olds say, Oh, that doesn't sit so well. It is, after all, an alternate reality version of themselves. Their stomachs grumble. They get rushed to the bathroom. But it's too late. The SG-1 team 
is in the line of duty. Get it? Get it? <laughs> oh. I was wondering where you were going to go with this. And apparently it's a poop joke. It's, hey, I can't get a... So there's one thing that I am not above, and that is toilet humor. So uh, there we go. A little, little bit of... Little poo. Little poo. All right. Well, shall we watch uh, the, the actual? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Let's do it. All right. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Uh, hit and go now. Next time on Stargate SG One, a daring rescue has some tragic consequences. There's no duty in this. But O'Neill will bring his friend home, whatever the cost. You okay? Has Dr. Carter no, brought no home duty. a deadly infection? Hey, I was kind of right about the virus thing. Or could it be something even worse? She said she'd kill me if I did. Duty. Oh! She's a girl. Now, O'Neill must Wait a minute, what's your face? Lives or dies. Letting me go is the only chance of saving your friend's remembrance. I will never, never trust a girl. Open the gate now! Richard Dean Anderson oh, stars boy. on the next Stargate SG-1. Uh-oh. Oh, so uh, one thing, one one unfortunate thing happened. Even though we did so much work to prepare us being more or less in sync, uh, it had right. it was actually worse than it has is typically. So I was off by at least a second or two. Oh but goodness! Still, uh, you can fix it in post. I yes, I can probably, but also <laughs> importantly, number one, um, uh, what's her face is back. The little girl. Uh, the and uh, you insisted that we would never see her again. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and now I can go neener 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 neener. Fine. <laughs> She's back. Um and uh let's see here. So so I was kind of right about uh, inferring about uh, like a disease thing. Well, no, it's a, it's a ghoul. But whatever. Anyway, I I it's kind of fun when a ghoul takes over an SG1 member. Wait a minute. Is she going to get a pouch? How's this going to work? Well, now I'm kind of excited to see it. Well, okay, we're talking about a ghoul, not a Jaffa. The ghoul don't have pouches. The Jaffa have pouches. Yeah, yeah, but to get a human host, you got to have a... Whatever. Her eyes were glowing, and her voice had changed. Yeah. And also, there was a pretty good special effect that showed her face skull. Yeah. 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 That's fun. So, um... Carter is a ghoul? Well, we'll find out now, won't we? We'll find out. Uh, so, uh, and you can find out with us, yeah, uh, by joining us as we walk through the Stargate. Uh, any last comments, Brent? Now, uh, this thanks for sticking with us on this one, guys. This is a long one. This guys was a long one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this was this was all right, and I'm really looking forward to this, uh, getting going with season two. Like, I'm into right. it right now. Like, like it's oh. like, yeah, let's get this. Let's keep yeah. the story rolling. Yeah. Yay! Yay! My plan has worked. Ha 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 ha. So, uh, uh, tell us what you think about 
within a serpent's grasp mm-hmm. and the serpent's lair. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do that by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. You can uh, find us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. You go to the Facebook page, the Facebook group, and share your thoughts and comments there. Uh, tell us what you would give within the serpent's grasp and the serpent's lair. Tell us what you would, uh, how you would rate them individually and as a group. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you think of season one. Tell yeah. us, uh, you know, what you had for breakfast. Uh, whatever. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> don't tell us what happened after you ate the breakfast. No, we don't want to know about in the line of duty. We don't need to know that. Uh-uh. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this is good. So, yeah, so thanks for uh, sticking with us here. Uh, and until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. Bye. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.